since it's Thanksgiving season, um, we've been dealing in Sunday school a lot about thanks and then also giving, and so kind of combining those two. And so today I want to talk about um, a subject called, um, we're going to title the message, it's Being Rich Towards God. What does your giving say about you? That's the title, is Being Rich Towards God. What does your giving say about you? Um, If you don't get anything from this, and I always say this, um, if you could get one point, and one point only, the point would be that our giving reflects who we put our trust in. Um, What we do with our money shows what we value in our hearts. Luke 12, 34 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we are going to look at that. So we're going to um, actually take a look at a parable. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. This should be a familiar story for some of you. Um, hope to get out of here soon, so I won't keep you too long. Um, just want to make a couple of points about this. And um, yeah fidgeting today. Let me know when you get there, and then I'll get started. Yes, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. So my translation might read a little bit differently than what you see on the board. I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. And it says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God talking to Sunday school class this morning about uh, Thanksgiving and we've been talking about giving and how as Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, that we are to give a tithe um, and an offering. And we've been talking about how in Malachi it talks about robbing God, um, where the people were not giving their tithes and their offering. And we've defined tithes as 10%. And so we've sort of been looking at what that looks like. And as we kind of approach the holiday season, this topic has been wearing heavy on me because we're coming up on a season where it's all about giving gifts or buying for yourself. Black Friday, I always say, is not a holiday about other people. It's a holiday holiday for us. Like when I go Black Friday shopping, which I haven't been in a while, but when you go shopping on Black Friday, the last thing you're really thinking about is other people. You're looking for that TV deal. um, You're looking for that new pair of jeans on sale. Um, It's rarely about other people. And it's interesting because if you see some of those videos on YouTube where people are trampling one another to get that 
$100 TV, and for what? So as we've been thinking about that, I've been thinking a lot about what our tithe says about us. But then not only just the tithe, but what does the other 90% say? And that's where I want to focus today, because that's the part that seems to be not talked about. And it's the part that could get us in a lot of trouble. Because there's a particular part in this scripture, and I'm skipping ahead, but I'm going to tell you anyway now so that you, you get it, is that in the parable, God calls this man a fool. And that night his soul was required of him. So that there is a way that we can spend our money that is sending us straight to hell. And that is a scary, scary thing. And so I want us to look at this story because I think it's an interesting one. So let's break it down. Um, So we see here a man who comes to Jesus. So if you weren't sure who is talking here, someone in the crowd says to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell, you know, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Now, if you guys know anything about Jesus or even the role of a pastor, how many of you would actually come to the pastor to tell him to split your money with someone else? That's not really his problem or his worries. He's got other things to worry about. So when Jesus says, who made me a judge or arbitrator, which also means judge, essentially that was something that was not of his concern. So the right of the firstborn, just so you know, um, was the double portion of the inheritance. And so you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21, Verse 17, and it says, I'll read it for you. It says, But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. So perhaps this man wanted an equal share of the inheritance. And so he comes to Jesus to try to settle this dispute. And by Jesus' response, you can tell that he's just not concerned with this injustice. He was not concerned about these trivial matters. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so this was not really an issue that was was something he cared about. But it's interesting. In in a study that I was reading by uh, John Piper, um, he notes that Jesus and the disciples considered money both helpful as well as hazardous. And we've sort of seen throughout uh, throughout the scripture how money is something that's talked about quite often. Um, And there's a reason for that. So when we are are looking at this, um, we are trying to figure out that there are ways that that money is is to minimize its hazard and to maximize its helpfulness. You know, it's interesting because it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So most people say that money is the root of all evil. Not truth. It's the love of money. However, money does have the capacity to show us what we value most. And it can reflect that we value it and our possessions more than we value God. So when the text says something like, take care, it's saying that you need to take precaution. You need to be cautious. You need to be aware that money can cloud your judgment. You know, Jesus noted something that was very real here. And again, that if we aren't careful, that money and things can capture our hearts. And we can see that in the society that we live in, where it's about bigger barns, bigger things, more money, more clothes, better this, better that. And you you know what's interesting is that we are never satisfied. Um, That's that's where 
want to get to because as we look at how we spend our money and we do all these things, we, we realize, or at least I realize, that this becomes a heart issue, that it's a matter of what is inside your heart, that we can spend and spend and spend and store and get all this stuff, yet we are never satisfied. We want more. How many of you finally get, got that one thing that you wanted so bad and then after a while it no longer mattered? Right? I mean, I feel like everyone could say that. I mean, there are things that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just, if I just save up enough and I can get it, then I'll be okay, right? And then we get that thing and, you know, a week later it's like, eh, whatever. Um, I think about that with children. Have you ever seen when you give kids toys at Christmas time? the little kids, and you give them all of these toys, and they're like, ooh, and then they're playing with the wrapper, and they're not even paying attention to the toy. Um, we're kind of like that, too. So anyway, it says, take care. All right, so let's go back to this. So as we look at this, we're seeing that money has the capacity to show us uh, what we value and show us, you know, what, that maybe we can value it more than we value God. I love this quote. It says, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. So here we, Jesus says, take care, take heed, be, be cautious, because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what does that mean? It means that your life is more than the car you drive. It's more than all the things that you've got piled up in your house on the floor that you valued at one point. And it's interesting because Jesus was, was seeing that this man, as he, as he came to him and said, divide the inheritance, he was seeing that this man was losing his grip on the inheritance and he needed somebody else to do something. So it's interesting because we're seeing that money, don't feed into the lie that money brings your happiness. That's what we're seeing here. Don't feed into the lie that everything that you're going through and all your problems are somehow going to be solved because you're more money. You have more money. And we can see evidence of that all throughout Hollywood. Look at every celebrity who has had every surgery done to their face, to their body. They look amazing by uh, society's standards, yet they are not happy. And there's a reason for that, right? Because as we continue to try to fill a void, we realize that these things aren't satisfying, that it becomes an issue. We're trying to fill a void for a place that only God can fill. And the thing is, with, as Christians, that is difficult. Because sometimes we like these other coping mechanisms. And we're seeing here that, that, that perhaps this is what this man was doing. Okay, so he says that. So Jesus, uh, being who he was, he liked to um, tell parables. And a parable is essentially a story to get you to understand a point. Um, and so that's what he says. So this guy, again, he says, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not the judge, but let me tell you a story. So he tells the story of a land of a rich man who produced uh, plentiful. So there's this guy who has a lot of wealth, um, and his crops had produced a lot, so he's got a lot of stuff. Um, I want to make a note that it's not a problem that he had things, okay, or that he was even wealthy. So the Bible doesn't say here that he was a wicked man because he had some sort of wealth. Um, in fact, we need people who have wealth, right? Because we need people who can employ others. We need people who can uh, raise crops. And we need people who can dig oil so that we can have the things that we need. So that's not a bad thing. 
But here is what happens. Um, in verse 17, it says, he thought to himself. Let's stop there. He thought to himself. How many times have you thought to yourself and not sought counsel and just went off and did your own thing? How many times did that not work for you? Um, sometimes when we get to thinking in our minds um, and we don't really seek counsel of other people, um, we can be irrational and we can make decisions, haste decisions, and sometimes um, the thoughts that we have aren't always the right ones. Um, and so he says, he thinks to himself, and he goes, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I would say to my soul, soul, you have laid up ample goods for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Interesting response that the man has. Um, we look at the fact that, you know, the deceit of riches. Um, Matthew 13:22 says, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So riches, riches can be deceitful. Um, it can cause something in our hearts called covetousness. Do you guys know what that is? Covetousness. Now, Jesus said it here. He said, guard against all covetousness. What, what on earth is what? covetousness? Okay. All right, Jesus. Again, you're not answering my question. I want you to divide the inheritance. And so, of course, Jesus says, guard your heart of all uh, covetousness. Now, if you are curious what that word means, um, I will let you know. It's basically marked by um, an ordinate desire for wealth or possessions. Or, really, it's l- really looking after somebody else's possessions. It's eyeing what they have over there. It's that person over there, ooh, I want what they have, and I'm going to do any, by any means necessary, I'm going to get it, even if that means stealing. So Jesus is saying a very real thing there. Um, in Colossians 3, verse 5, it says that covetousness is actually idolatry. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So wanting what other people have, craving possessions, somebody else's, that is somebody else's. Um, your life is, is not about having things, just so that you know. I think sometimes we have to be reminded that our life is not about having things, and I have to remind myself about that as well, because as God continues to bless me, and I'm sure as he continues to bless you, money becomes a real big issue with what do we do with it as we get more of it. Um, a rapper once said, more money, more problems. It's kind of true, right? So you have more thoughts of what I can do with all of this stuff. Um, and again, as we look at tithing and we look at giving and what our giving says about us and we look at the things that we have, um, what does everything that we have stored up in our house, what does that say about us? Where are we storing our treasure? Is it in our closets, which I'm guilty of? Or is it being rich towards God? Asking ourselves these questions. Okay, so, again, your life is not about having things. It's really about knowing God. John 17:3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus tells them this parable. 
And again, there's nothing wrong with having crops. He wasn't called a fool for this because we need people who can farm, like I said, and we need people who can, can employ folks and, and do that because it's important for us to work. Um, but why was he called a fool? It was his response towards having all of these things. And it was the way he used his increase of his riches. Now, instead of saying, you know what, God, you have blessed me with all of this stuff. I'm going to give to your people. I'm going to give to the folks in need, and I'm going to use my wealth for something good. Instead, he said, this is mine. Build a bigger barn. And he stores up all of his stuff and puts it in a place that just, what what is it going to do? I mean, if you think about all the stuff that we have, when we leave here, who's getting it? Now, you might be fighting with your family about that, but for the most part, it's just stuff. (laughs) It's just stuff. Nobody really wants, exactly, nobody wants your trophy um, from that one (laughs) softball game you won when you were 10. Nobody wants that. Um, so it might have been okay if he was storing up grain for use uh, to show God that he was his treasure, to say, thank you, God, for all that you've given me. I'm given to other people. But he thought to himself, and again, like I said, sometimes when we think to ourselves and we don't really consult other people, we make bad decisions. Um, I, I'm, sometimes I can be an impulse shopper. Do you guys know what that is? When you are in the store and you're walking around and it says 50% off and you're like, oh, no, I'm fine. And then you kind of look back, oh, wait, I might need that. And then you hold it up and you're like, do I need this? Uh, Nah, I don't need it. And then you pick it up anyway and buy it, right? And then you get home and you realize you have 25 others just like it and you set it right next to it and you're like, I don't know. Should I have done that? Um, So, again, sometimes when we're left to our own devices, we don't make great decisions. Um, So again, he says, I will say to my soul, eat, drink, be merry, relax. His treasure, his value, his focus was on relaxing. He wanted to kick back, eat, drink, and be merry, and that's what his life was. And, you know, he said that I made all of this possible. So again, he's not even acknowledging that God gave him all of this. Because when we think about Psalm 24, 1 through 2, it talks about stewardship. It says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Meaning, everything you own is really God's. Put it plainly, that we really don't own it. So the fact that he's generous to give us that 90%, it's still not ours. We're just managers of it. So how are we managing the things that God has given us? Are we buying frivolous things? Are we building bigger barns instead of really being rich towards God? What does our lifestyle, what does our giving say to people who don't even know him? Are we saying that we value Christian Louboutin? Or are we saying that we value Christ? If there was no God who was infinite in value, and if there was no resurrection, then it would be okay for him to say, you know what, eat, drink, relax, be merry. However, we know that that's not true. 1 Corinthians 15 32 says this, and I'm going to read it for you. It says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, uh, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He failed to realize that his riches showed that his treasure was not God. He kind of just decided he was going to stop. Now, we know 
as Christians that what is our, our call? Um, it's to make disciples, to make Christ known. It's to, to live a life that reflects that he is number one in our lives. It's not to eat, drink, relax, and be merry. Now, there are times for that, which I like to think of Thanksgiving the afternoon as the perfect time to do that. You're sitting with your family, you're fellowshipping, you're eating, you're drinking, you're relaxing, um, you're, you're hanging out with your family, but that is not what you're called to do in your life. You are called to make disciples. You are called to live a life that reflects um, that we are not going to be here forever. And the more we start reflecting that our riches are here and not in heaven is where we may have a grave, grave problem. All right, I'll be out of here in a few minutes. All right, so it says, and this is where it gets kind of scary. But God said to him, fool, this night is required of you. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's scary about this, and and as I think about it, um, that this man, he didn't just get a slap on the wrist. He didn't get a, you know what, do better next time. That night, your soul was required of you, is what it says. Meaning that God judged him on this behavior. Instantly. Thank you. And, and I've been so convicted by this because as I look at everything that I own and I look at everything that I have stored up in my apartment by myself, it's just me, I am very aware that my giving reflects what I'm loving and what I put my trust in. And the more that I spend my time buying things I don't need is the more that I'm starting to realize what is this doing for God and his kingdom? How am I at all being a witness with all this stuff I've got up in here? Now, again, some of you are going to leave me like, Tanika said, don't buy anything, that you can't have things. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. I think it's fine for you to spend the money that you save on certain things, and I'm not saying that that's a problem. What I'm saying here is that this man, in particular in this parable, lost his soul because of the fact that his wealth, his pride, his, his joy, his heart was about these other things and not about God. And it shows that he was not rich towards God. And my prayer for us is that we would be rich towards God. Um, what does that even mean? I mean, again, I'm, I'm using some churchy terms, right? Rich towards God, Tanika. Explain. Okay. So to be rich towards God, um, it's a heart that's drawn to God as our riches. So that means that you value Christ above all. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, we know that the love of money can lure us out of our love for God and away from treasuring him as more. But my prayer is that you and I would really seek after him and that we would start to think about the fact that we treasure Christ above all. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, like I said, Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 that, that he counts everything loss compared to knowing Christ, so that there is a benefit to knowing Christ. We've seen parables where it talks about the pearl, that a man sold everything for that one thing, which was the kingdom of God is like, right? Um, it says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We see that in Matthew 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, 26. Um, you guys probably know this. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul, his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? As we live in a world of materialism and it being all about us, how do we live as Christians and still give what we need to give? And how do we still live the, our life and need to pay our bills and do all those things? And I'm not saying don't do that. I think it's important for you to pay your bills. I think it's important for you to be responsible with your money. Um, but I also want us to remember that how we give reflects the things that we treasure. And how we buy, that reflects who we treasure. And even though God has given us the 90%, my encouragement is that we would use that 90 in a way that really benefits the kingdom. And so my prayer for 2016, as we kind of look ahead, right, um, is that we would value Christ above all, that we'd be rich in good works, um, and that we would remember that he is everything and, and everything belongs to him. So as I conclude... I don't think that there are several practical things that we can do because I think it's different for everyone. But I can give you a few things that I'm going to be working on that I hope that maybe you'll consider working on. Um, one thing that I think really helps um, sometimes is, is spending time in our Word. Real simple. Now, I don't know what that means for you. I'm not going to give you a you need to spend two point whatever day, hours of your day with God. I, I don't need to do that because I think we start to get into legalism when if, I, if I start trying to tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, but I do think that there's a benefit in spending time in the, in the Bible. Um, do you guys know what Psalm 119.11 says? It says, Your word that I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we know that hiding God's word in our heart, we know that studying his word um, helps us to treasure him above all. Because we stop looking at other people. I know the more I watch reality TV and the more I kind of just watch other stuff, the more I'm like, ooh, we start to think about the things that other people have. And again, not bad to watch these things if you watch them, but it, there's a point when our minds start to think that like, this is what we need to value and this is what we need to go after. And these looks are the things that I need to be successful. When God is saying, be rich towards me. All right, so spending some time in your word. Um, the second one is, um, again, if you're a Christian, we hope you're all tithing, but to set your tithes and your offerings aside first. Now, I'm guilty of not writing that check first. Now, I'll write it, but sometimes I don't write that check first. And so I think there's a benefit in us, the second we get paid, taking God's portion and putting it over here. Even if we're not going to be in church for a few days, I think there's a benefit to saying, God, this is your first fruits. I'm giving that to you. And I don't think we always think about that. At least I don't. Because I know I'm going to give it to him anyway. But I think there's something um, very uh, telling about us taking that action first and setting it aside. Um, showing how much we love him. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Um, again, I've said this already, but I'm going to say it again. Remembering that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That everything we own belongs to God anyway. And that as we seem to think that we can eat, drink, and be merry, we have more to do. We are on mission. We're not here to just eat, drink, and be merry. Um, we are here to, to build, to make disciples. We are here to, to share the gospel. We are here to uh, really 
you know, influence our sphere of influence, the people that we are around the most. What does our lifestyle say when we are with our friends and family who don't know Christ? And finally, the last thing is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I am encouraged by, by knowing that God gives us a second chance. Now, this parable is interesting because it says, tonight your soul is required of you. And it's interesting to see that this very act, this covetousness, this idolatry in our hearts of stuff can, can lead us right on to hell. And my, my prayer is that we would treasure Christ above all and that he gives us a chance to, to know him, to love him. He gives us a chance to get it right because he's given us his son. Um, and we have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit working in us um, to help us and continue to point us to Jesus, to convict us of sin. And so my prayer is that we would be rich towards God and that we would treasure him above all. All right. Thank you.